Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4. We're going to continue our study through the Old Testament. Uh, if you, uh, just so you know, you're going to, if you haven't uh, uh, listened for a while, you're going to see that on, typically on Wednesdays we go through the Old Testament and then on Sundays we go through the New Testament and we go systematically through the Word of God, verse by verse, line upon line, and precept upon precept. It's so cool because you know, I, I don't say this a lot, but um, you can't skip anything. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to touch on things in Scripture that sometimes you're going to feel so immense comfort in your heart. And then sometimes, if you're like me, you're going to feel like there's a dagger right in your heart. A dagger. Because what the Holy Spirit is doing is He's changing you. He's changing me. He's changing us as a church body. Remember, we are the bride of Christ. And He's changing us. He's perfecting us. And sometimes we want to hold on to things and say, Wow, Lord, you know, I, I really like this. I really like this. And I used to do that. But then what I didn't realize is that whatever the Lord takes away from your heart, whatever He takes away from your mind, He'll put something better. It's reconstruction. It's... You know, you hear me say every now and then, it's like a renovation. You know, you get a new place. Say you get a new condo, and it's kind of a little raggedy. And what do you do? You know, you refurbish it. You know, you rip out the old and you put in the new. Well, that's what the Lord does inside of you, inside of me. To all who believe, you know, we go through the Bible. And that's what's so cool because we go through the, the, the Word systematically. And you can't skip the tough parts. You know, there's some difficult, difficult subjects that we're going to touch on. You know, and it's so cool because that's that's how the Lord works. Now, you hear me also talk smack sometimes because there are some people who teach the Bible. They'll, they'll cherry pick. They'll take a verse here, you know, take, you know, a little stack of papers and, you know, turn the pages more and turn the pages. And they'll say one verse and go to another book and say another verse, another book and say another verse. verse and then they'll piece together. They'll piece together whatever, like a, a topical study. And from time to time, we do have topical studies. And when we do, it's to make sure that we have the context of the Word of God and, and what's being taught. Uh, but very rarely, you're going to see that very, very rarely do we have uh, uh, topical sermons. A, a lot of times it's systematic through the Word of God. Verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And it's so beautiful. And so here we are in Leviticus chapter 4. Now, so there's something I have to say. You know, keep in mind that we're, you're going to hear me say this a lot, but we're building a tapestry. We're, we're, we're developing a tapestry here. And you have to keep that in mind. Because, you know, as much as, you know, so far we've looked at the peace offering, the grain offering, uh, the burnt offering. And at the same time, it's like, you know, it, we can look at individual attributes of these offerings but when you piece it together as a whole, especially when we get to passages in Scripture where it speaks about the festivals and the feasts and what happens during those moments in terms of multiple offerings being made. You know, sometimes a, a person will come up and make uh, a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a grain offering, kind of like in one session. And we're going to see that throughout the Old Testament. And with this knowledge in Leviticus, you're going to realize like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And I'm not elevating the law, but it's to have an understanding of the law and an understanding of the new covenant 
in the fulfillment of the law because it is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then you're going to understand the beef that Paul has when he writes to the church and says, you know, why do you want to go back to the law? Why do you, do you not hear the law? He tells the church in Galatia. He says, do you not hear the law? He says, if righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Why do you want to go back to those things? It's very important to understand the full counsel of the Word of God. Old interpreting new, new interpreting old. And so here we are in chapter 4, you know, and understand that these are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the sin offering, which is kind of like, uh, I don't want to say obvious, but this is one of the big ones that is, I guess I could say obvious, you know, about what is fulfilled in Jesus Christ being the propitiation for our sins and the offering for our sins, God's offering. Because in Old Testament times, if we were Jews in the Old Testament in the tabernacle and, and we would have sin in our tent, well, what would happen? Say like I'm a dad and say like I have a son who's wayward and he was doing all kinds of crazy things. Well, number one, I'd put him in his place. I'd say, hey, cut it out. You know, if you're going to live like this, then you're out of my tent. Get out of here. You know, and it's like people, you know, nowadays that people say, oh, that's so mean, you know, be good to your son. It's like, no, it's like, we have to honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. But your son is five. No, I'm but your son, you know, it's one thing for a five-year-old. You know, it's one thing for a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old. But 25-year-old, you know, 30-year-old. You know, you see nowadays 30-year-olds living at home, still living with mommy and daddy. You know, and it's like, whoa, you got to cut that umbilical cord. Cut that thing. You know, and go do your thing, you know, and I mean, you know, live your life. Be independent in Christ. You know, that's what's so cool about raising a child. It's to say, you know, teach them about your authority so that, you know, you're going to pass on your authority. And that child is going to grow up and realize, okay, my mom and dad aren't my authority anymore, but my authority is Jesus Christ. And they're going to learn from example too. Like, wow, I saw my mom and dad, you know, submitting themselves to Jesus Christ and I see what the Lord has done in their lives. And I was under that umbrella. I was under their covering. And then they're going to, you know, turn 17, 18, whatever, you know. And then they're going to leave and be like, wow, you know, I want Jesus Christ. I'm under my mom and dad. Or I'm leaving under my mom and dad. But now I'm under Jesus Christ. You know, and it's like they go on their own journey into the world. You know, and they're going to go places that you can never, ever go to. And you know what that is? It's the future. You know, you're going to die, you know, and it's just like, you know, your kids are going to have like an extra 30, 40 years and then they're going to die and their kids are going to have an extra 30, 40, 50 years. You know, it's so cool how the Lord works because from generation to generation to generation, this righteousness is a learned thing. And, you know, to understand these things of the law, they, they, Jesus Christ fulfills it all, all of it. And so now we're looking at the sin offering. And although Jesus Christ does fulfill these things, we're going to see a little bit about God's perspective. It's revealed to us, God's perspective on things. And I have to say, if you're a pastor listening to this message or an elder or a Bible teacher, I'm going to be a little bit hardcore. 
I'm going to be a little bit hardcore and you're going to see, you're going to see the reason why. And so let's look at verse one here in Leviticus chapter four, verse one. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. It's so cool here because anytime you see L-O-R-D, all caps, it's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, you know, and it's so cool because the Lord is not silent. The Lord is speaking. He's very particular who he speaks with. The Old Testament and New Testament, the Lord is very particular who he speaks with. And you're going to see there's something different about those who are obedient. You know, the Lord speaks to the disobedient, but it's through the obedient. You know, you see the prophets in the Old Testament. And the word of God is available to everybody, Old Testament and New Testament. Everybody, except there were special messengers that the Lord used. Just like there are special messengers today. The question is, are you going to choose to be obedient? You know, you can't, you know, have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And then all of a sudden, you know, be used of the Lord in terms of like what we see in the book of Acts. You know, when we look at the book of Acts, you see a different church and you see a different people, the different vessels that the Lord uses. Male, female, young, old. And, you know, we're going to see young, old. and We're going to see a lot of uh, some younger people pretty soon here in the book of Acts. And then we're going to see females now. We're going to start to see more women. Old people. You know, old couples. A husband and wife. You know, edifying the body. And these aren't just the average Joes, so to speak. The average Joes and the average Janes. These are people who are obedient to the word of God. And the Lord uses them. Just like the Lord will use you today. But don't play games with them. Don't play games with sin. Because we have to grow. We have to matriculate. You know, that's why Paul tells, you know, to the pastor's letters, you know, in First and Second Timothy and Titus. He says, don't use novices. Don't use the young, like new believers, brand new believers. Because when you become a new believer... What happens is you have to grow in Christ. You have to understand His Word. You have to mature. You have to understand spiritual warfare. And then the Lord's going to say, Okay, now I have a task for you. Because what happens when you take a baby Christian who doesn't know how to use the Word of God as a fighting tool, as a fighting weapon? They're going to go out and do things. And you think like, wow, this is so cool. You know, praise the Lord. And yeah, it, it, there's some cool aspects of it. Like, praise the Lord, you know, He... This guy, this gal, she's doing this, he's doing that. But then wait a second, don't forget there's an enemy out there who roams around waiting for whom he may devour. He roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. And boy, does he devour. Does he devour. And it's such a trip because, you know, just as it says here in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. God's not silent today. He speaks through his word. But then the Holy Spirit, as he convicts, you as he convicts me what happens to us in response to that conviction is to say wow lord i repent i repent lord because you know what i did this and i didn't do this remember to him him who knows what he ought to do and does not do it to him it is sin the lord raises the ante the more you grow in christ the more the lord raises the ante and you can look at that like okay that's scary and there is this scary aspect of it but it's so cool because it's like, you know, are you going to give a, a set of car keys to a two-year-old? No. 
But that two-year-old can grow up one day and be a race car driver. You know, do motocross. You know, and it's so cool because that person has to grow. That little person has to grow. Same thing in our walk with Christ. We have to grow. You might not be able to be motocross today in Christ. But you can do, you know, spiritual motocross in five years, in ten years. That's why Paul says, don't use a novice. Don't use a brand new believer, a baby Christian. And so the Lord speaks to us through His Word. But then at the same time, as the Holy Spirit convicts you when you read the Word, you need to repent. You need to yield to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to discover things as you read the Word. You're going to discover things like, well, I didn't know I was in the wrong. I've been doing this my whole life and I didn't know I was in the wrong. And you're going to come across something and realize, whoa, I've been doing this wrong. Lord, forgive me. I blew it. I didn't know. You know, that's what's so cool about you can have all kinds of preconceived notions. You can come from any background, any walk of life, and you come to the Lord and it's like, wow, you know, I've had, you know, five abortions. And then you come to the Bible, you come to Jesus Christ, you believe, you start reading, and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know. All my school teachers told me this, you know, this, I didn't know. And then you come to Christ and you realize He values life. And you say, Lord, forgive me. I had no clue. Lord, forgive me. I need your covering over my heart. And He will forgive you. He will forgive you. Remember, He takes your sin and throws it in the sea of forgetfulness. It's like, wow, you know, Lord, I did all this sexual stuff. I did all this drug stuff. I did all this alcohol stuff. I did all this homosexual stuff, this lesbian stuff. And I know, you know, if if you're already walking with the Lord, you hear me say these things and you're like, oh man, that's so disgusting. And there is a disgusting aspect of sin, just like there was a disgusting aspect of my sin in my life. And there is a disgusting aspect of my sin in my life and your sin in your life. Remember from whence you came. It's not to get on a holy high horse and say like, wow, we are the elite. It's to get off that high horse, still be holy. And be fishers of men. And realize the world, the landscape of the battlefield that's before us. Disgusting, disgusting world. Sexual sin, drugs all over the place. You know, sex all over the place. Alcohol, all kinds of different things. Homosexual sin. Lesbianism, bestiality. Satanism. It's such a trip. I was talking with a recently a, a, a homosexual atheist. And it's such a trip because we were talking and, you know, I didn't, I, he knew I was a Christian and it came off combative at first. It started very combative and, you know, he was talking and he was just saying like, you know, you're so stupid, all these crazy things. And I wasn't getting mad at me, you know, <laughs> why am I going to get mad, you know? And so he would say all these things and finally it started to turn into prophecy and then he started to ask these questions. What do you mean this? What do you mean about this? Can you tell me what you mean? And so I just straight up told him, well, the Bible prophesies of this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And look, we're already seeing these things start to cultivate in the world. And then just dead silence. Dead silence. I'll hit him up, you know, pretty soon. Maybe a couple more days. I'll hit him up again. 
I told him, hey, God loves you. Man, to hear a homosexual atheist, hardcore, hates Christians, hates God, everything. From what he understands about God. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's just like, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. It was just very combative. And I was on the receiving end. I shouldn't, you know, I was on the receiving end, but, you know, I had my shield up. I'm kind of smirking a little bit because, you know, I also have a sword and I know how to use the sword. I don't say that boastfully. Let my boast be in Christ. And so finally we started talking and he just starts asking me these questions. What do you mean this? And I'd answer. Well, what do you mean this? I'd answer again. And then finally I'd say, hey, God loves you. God loves me. God loves you and he wants me to tell you that he loves you. And that he's coming again. And he wants to receive you. I have no idea what happened inside his heart. What, what's happening inside of his mind. But I pray for this fellow. And I ask that you pray for him too. Because, you know, that's a lot of things to, de- to deny. But pray for him. Pray for his soul. It's so cool how the Lord works, man. It blows me away because he's so good and we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. He's so merciful. He's so gracious. You know, there's like literally no words to describe. I mean, I could speak. I'm kind of a talkaholic. But, you know, it's like when it comes to the goodness of the Lord, it's just like, Lord, Speechless. Speechless, Lord. You're just so good. And that even doesn't do it justice. And so look what the Lord is telling to Moses. He says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins unintentionally. Wow, unintentional sin. What this word is in the in the Hebrew is shegaga, shegaga in the Hebrew. It's a mistake, inadvertent, error, ignorance, unaware, and unwittingly. You hear people, you know, you hear like little kids. Oh, but I didn't know. Mom, dad, I didn't know. You hear 10-year-olds. Mom, dad, I didn't know. You know, you hear 30-year-olds. I didn't know. You know, I talk to employers all the time. And it's like they tell me about their employees. You know, sometimes they have really bad apples. And then they say, oh, yeah, I told this guy this. And he just says, I didn't know. And, you know, that's baloney because he knew. You know, this lady told me she didn't know. But that's baloney. She didn't know. Or she didn't know. You know, you can't. It's so cool what the Lord is speaking to us about unintentional sin. That still needs to be covered. It still needs to be covered. Do you remember in Job chapter 1 verse 5? Job would make intercession for his kids. And in Job chapter 1 verse 5, he says, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. It may be. That's what's so cool about these people in the Bible. You know, if you're a parent... You know, as your kids get older and maybe they go out and hang out with their friends all the time, 
you know, they get their driver's license. They're driving all over the place, hanging out with their friends. And it's like, man, you know, you're at home and you're on your knees before the Lord. And you're like, Lord, protect my son, protect my daughter. You know, they're in sleep, in bed at night. They're sleeping and you're on your face before the Lord. Lord, it may be that my daughter's in sin. It may be that my son is in sin. And you're interceding. It's so cool to read these passages of Holy Scripture. Of a holy, holy man, Job. And you know, you think about holiness inside of a person. is to say, wow, you know, that holiness is Christ. You know, it's like, you know, as the Bible says, my righteousness is filthy rags. It's garbage. My righteousness. But what about Christ in me? What about Christ in you? You see, it, it changes our perspective on things regardless of what this world looks like. You don't need me to tell you how nasty this world is. So in the nastiness of the world, does that mean we head for the hills? I don't think so. I read the Bible. It's like, I don't see anybody heading for the hills. I mean, it's, you know, there are passages where the people are literally running for the hills. But in terms of sharing the good news, when like the last call to receive the Lord, when the angel is flying over the world and saying, come out of her, my people. It's like the last opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. Because God's wrath is coming. It's to say, no. Hey, you Satanist homosexual, get rid of that lifestyle. Repent and receive Jesus Christ. And here, get inside the ark with me. Get inside because God's wrath is coming. You see, it's a rescue mission. And when I say get inside the ark, it's a capital A. It's Jesus Christ. You see, it's so cool, especially when the Lord is going to teach us about unintentional sin. Now, granted, this is the law. But when I say, you know, it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the, the sin offering, we're going to get a perspective on what God has to say about it. Unintentional sin. Shegaga in the Hebrew. You know, oh, it was just a mistake. Oh, I inadvertently did this. Oh, I just made a little error. Oh, I did it in ignorance. I was unaware of what the word says. Yeah, I did it unwittingly. Excuses. So many people make excuses for sin, but you know what's much easier? Is to have sin atoned for and say, Lord, I repent. Much easier. Because people try to make excuses for sin and they label it, oh, it's just a little white lie. It's not going to kill anybody. Such mentality grieves the Holy Spirit. And you know, I can't point the finger at anybody because you know what? I got three fingers pointing back at me. We're all in the same boat. The Lord wants to do the work inside of you and inside of me. Individually and corporately as a church body. If a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, that's a lot of any's. Any, anything, and any. Verse 2 is loaded with any's. You know, and God makes a way. God makes a way. You see, it's so beautiful how the Lord works. The Lord is the one who's 
paving the way. He's the one who's giving these instructions. He's saying, hey, Moses, tell these things to the people. Before we get to verse 3, let's look at verse 13. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to verse 13. Because what we're going to do is we're going to chop it up. We're going to chop up this chapter. Well, you know, let me just say something. In verse 3 to 12, the first chopping, it applies to the faith leaders. In verse 13 through 21, it applies to the whole congregation. In verse 22 to 26, it applies to leaders. And then in verse 27 to 35, it applies to everybody, any person. So we're going to chop up Leviticus chapter 4 quite a bit. In verse 13, notice what he says here. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, Shegaga, get that in your head, Shegaga, because it's to, you know, by mistake, inadvertently, in error, in ignorance, unaware, and unwittingly, Shegaga. If the whole congregation of Israel, Israel sins unintentionally. Now, look at verse 22. When a ruler has sinned, this is like, you know, a, 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 like leadership and not necessarily faith leadership, but like leadership, like, um, like the kings, like when we get into first Kings and second Kings and the Chronicles, we're going to see, you know, this type of, uh, a, a ruler, somebody who has like a leadership role. And it says, when a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally, Shegaga, again, you know, by mistake, inadvertent, by error, in ignorance, unaware, and unwittingly. I'm going to repeat this quite a bit because we have to get this ingrained in our minds. If any one of the common people sins, in verse 27, verse 27 now, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally, shegaga. The common people. You know what I love so much about how this translates in the Hebrew? It literally translates as any soul. You know, not there's no average Joes. No quote unquote little people. You know, there's remember God is God is no respecter of persons. You could be a multi-multi-billionaire or you could have five bucks in your wallet and no bank account. And the Lord is no respecter of persons. You could have no bucks in your pocket compared to a multi-multi-billionaire. The Lord is no respecter of persons. He could care less. Remember uh, Lazarus and, and, uh, and the rich man? I guarantee you that, you know, at that particular moment in time when the Lord revealed that to us, when the Lord uh, uh, told us about Lazarus and the rich man, I bet you nobody knew the name of Lazarus. Nobody knew the name of Lazarus. But I bet you everybody knew the name of the rich guy. Look at all the rich guys in the world today. Warren Buffett, you know, a genius investor in the ways of the world. Warren Buffet, good old Warren Buffet, and it's so it's such a trip, you know. But you know, you look at you know a bum on the street, who knows his name? You know. Look, you know, look at Warren Buffet and look at a bum on the street. Everybody knows Warren Buffett. 
But it's like, who's this bum on the street? What's his name? And it's so cool because that's how it is with Lazarus and the rich man. You know, everybody knows the rich guy. I don't know what his name was. You know what I love about that? I don't know what his name was. Neither do you. But we know the name of Lazarus. Why? Because the Lord had favor on him. He wasn't a respecter of the rich guy. Not that I'm, you know, playing class warfare. warfare. But he's no respecter of persons. He looks at the heart. He measures the heart. The insides. He doesn't care about what you look like. Your physique. You know, how beautiful you are. How handsome you are. He doesn't care about all that. You know what's so cool about being a Christian? You know, he gives you a new set of eyes. And you see beauty. Beauty is completely different than carnal beauty. Carnal beauty is fading. But when you put on the glasses that the Lord gives you, he gives you a new set of eyes. You start to see beauty like completely different. Very important to understand how these how chapter 4 of Leviticus is chopped up. In verse 13, remember, it's for the whole congregation of Israel. In verse 22, it's for the rulers, the leadership. And then in verse 27, it's for anybody else. And when I say anybody else, you know, there's no such thing as the average Joe. Because it translates as any soul in verse 27. Any soul. And I love this because, you know what? God chooses the base things and the foolish things of the world to confound and to shame the wise. And when you read the Bible, you see the people that God chooses, men, women, young, old. You see the people that God chooses individually and corporately. What is average about that? What is average about the people that God chooses and uses? Answer, absolutely nothing. There are people that are obedient. That's what's so beautiful about obedience, which is better than the fat of rams. You know, says so as we under as we start to read these passages about the offerings and the fat that is a, like a burnt offering unto the Lord. Remember that the Bible also teaches that obedience is better than the fat of rams. Never ever forget that fact. Obedience. And so we fast forwarded to verse 13 about the congregation, uh, verse 22 about the rulers and the leadership, and then in verse 27 about everybody else. And now let's go where we left off to verse 3, very specific to the faith leaders, the faith leaders. If you are a pastor or an elder or a Bible teacher, Pay very, very close attention. Very, very close attention. Because we understand that these are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ through these offerings. But then at the same time is to understand God's perspective on certain aspects of the very topics we're going to start to study right now. Okay, verse 3. If the anointed priest sins... This word for priest, some translations say high priest, but there's there's no, uh, when you read it in the Hebrew, there's no indication that it's the high priest. 
It just says anointed priest. Kohen, uh, Kohanim. The priest of Kohen, Kohanim. That's why like sometimes you meet a Jewish guy. And you're like, hi, you know, and you state your name. I'm state your name. What's your name? And they say, oh, I'm, you know, Richard Cohen, you know. You say, wow, Cohen, are, are you G- Jewish? And they say, yeah. And I, I, you know, I tell you the truth. If you're like, whoa, if you tell them, you meet a Jewish guy named like Richard Cohen, the last name C-O-H-E-N, and you tell them, whoa, that's like a, a privileged lineage, they will freak out. They will literally freak out because Cohen in the last name, they're, a large majority of Cohen Jewish people, they have links to the Kohanim, lineage of the Kohanim. And so that's why, you know, you, if you meet a Jewish guy named, named last name Cohen and you mention that to them, they'll freak out. You know, they might laugh about it, but sometimes they might freak out because they know. And it's such a trip because that's where, you know, Kohanim, anointed priest, you know, it's, it's the Kohanim. It's the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, that's heavy. Heavy. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. Do you remember when Moses came down from the mountain and he sees the golden calf? And he's like, what in the world is going on here? And he is angry, righteous indignation. He is super angry. And then he goes to Aaron and he tells him in chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 21, he says, you have brought so great a sin upon them. He says, what did the people do to you, Aaron? For you to bring so great a sin upon them. And you know what blows me away? Some translations, they say, verse 3, they say, uh, 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 if the anointed priest sins according to the sins of the people. That's what some translations say. And I kind of like that. Because it highlights the importance of, wait a second, you know what your influence needs to be if you're a pastor, elder, or Bible teacher? And when I say Bible teacher, that includes females. Who are teachers of other women. So when you know I've said that quite a bit. But when you hear me say Bible teachers. It's male, female. It could be young people too. If you're like a youth pastor. Make sure your influence is Jesus Christ and his word. Because you know how like say you have like a bunch of. I don't know say like 14 year olds. You know. Wet behind the ears, you know, and then all of a sudden the 14-year-olds, you know, they develop their cliques. You know, you get the cool crowd over here and you have the nerd crowd over on the other side. And then say a nerd, like, you know, is killer at basketball or something. He's a good basketball player. And all of a sudden the cool kids start to hang out with them. Well, this former nerd is going to start to, you know, partake in, you know, these popular kids. What they do and start to get you know, influenced by them. And so his former friends who were nerds, now he's going to start to make fun of the nerds. It's like, wait a second, you used to be a nerd. Nerd? (laughs) (laughs) And it's such a trip because, you know, that's the influence that these people had. And you could do it the other way around too. Or say like, you know, a, 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 a guy has a girlfriend and the girlfriend's just like, you know, I don't know how to say this, but like, uh, very uh 
um, worldly, you know, and you know, you have a Christian guy who gets a girlfriend that's very worldly, and you have a a, a guy who's very uh, uh, chaste before the Lord and wants to be pure before the Lord, and all of a sudden he connects with this girl, and it's all of a sudden it's just like crazy town because she's influenced him. And you can do it the other way around with how a guy influences a girl. He influences her and all of a sudden, you know, she's chest and, you know, right before the Lord and honorable before the Lord. And then all of a sudden, boom, just crazy town. The influence. But you know what happens when Moses tells Aaron, you know, you've brought so such great a sin upon the people. And verse three, how some translations put it is to say, according to the sins of the people. If you are a pastor, an elder, or Bible teacher, or youth leader, don't let the people be your influence. Do not ever, ever, ever let the people be your influence. Let Jesus Christ be your influence and His Word. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you must yield to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to do the work in your heart, in your mind. Because what happens if you hang out with one guy in the church? You know, he might be in the church. One lady might be in the church. But you have no idea what they're also involved in. Maybe they're drug users. Maybe they're hardcore into pornography. Maybe they're hardcore into alcohol. And you're going to become a really good friend with this guy. You're going to become a really good friend with this gal. And then all of a sudden they're going to say, yeah, let's go smoke. You know, let's go smoke this up. The finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Or, you know, let's go over here. It's ladies' night. Let's go clubbing tonight. And because your influence is not Jesus Christ, your influence is the world, your influence is are these people in the church, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get sucked into that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Look at verse 3. Bringing guilt on the people. Remember, this is the priest. These are the religious leaders. These are the faith leaders. That's why I specifically say pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, Bible teachers, youth leaders. You know, don't let the people be your influence. It must be Jesus Christ only. And you see what's so beautiful about this? You know, you have a church and you have like a pastor, a godly pastor. Then you have a godly co-pastor, godly elders, godly Bible teachers. And it's like they're, they're each, each of them, their individual influence is Jesus Christ and the word of God. And then all of a sudden together, you know, they, they're not influencers of each other, but they're helpers of one another. To come alongside one another, encouragers, exhorters of one another. Do you know how powerful that is? That's what we see in the book of Acts. That's precisely what we see in the book of Acts. You know what's interesting about verse 3? When you compare it to verse 13 about the congregation of Israel, when you compare it with verse 22 about any rulers, and when you compare it to verse 27 about anyone, uh, any of the common people. Remember, common people, it translates as any soul. You know what's interesting is the unintentional part. 
Verse 13, unintentional. Shagaga. Verse 22, unintentional. Shagaga. Verse 27, unintentional. Shagaga. That's by mistake, inadvertent, by error, in ignorance, being unaware and unwittingly. But you know what? In verse 3, there's no unintentional. There's no shagaga. You know why? God has the expectation. God has the expectation. A very, very specific expectation upon leadership inside a church. Faith leaders. Pastors, elders, deacons, bishops. Bible teachers, youth leaders. There are certain expectations and requirements for faith leaders in, the, in accordance with the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. All you have to do is read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And some other books too, but those are the heavy ones because they're specifically written to pastors. You know, it's to say, look, you have to have your home in order. You can be the husband of one wife. You know, you can't have like your, you can't be on your eighth marriage. You can't have your wife and you know, your little side thing going on. No drugs, no sex, no pornography. I mean, you know, marital is fine. I meant marital sex, you know. But you can't do your sexual stuff, you know, outside of that, the confines of what the word of God prescribes. You know, don't be on your alcohol stuff, you know, don't go on your binges. Don't do your drugs, no more crack, none of that. You see what's so beautiful about the Word of God is that He teaches us these things. And you know, when in verse 3, what you don't see, you don't see the Shagaga in there. You know why? Because the Lord has expectations. The Lord has expectations for the church leadership. Not the leadership like, you know, in verse 22, about the rulers. That's like leadership, like, you know, uh, elders, but not elders in terms of those are the elders of the tribes and which we're going to see it more political when we get into the kings and the chronicles. But I'm talking about religious leadership. And when I say religious, I don't mean religion. I mean the faith leaders. It's very, very hardcore stuff we're talking about here. Because you know what? A lot of pastors today, a lot of, you know, faith leaders today, they get on a high horse. They call themselves, you know, the uh, uh, apostle this, you know, the bishop that, you know, and they like to sit in these fancy seats in the front of the congregation. They like to sit in these fancy seating on the, you know, right next to the pulpit, you know, and they sit in their seats of authority, but they themselves are the crackheads. They themselves are the, you know, pornography people. They themselves are the ones that are like, wait a second, you can't be a pastor. You can't, biblically, you cannot be an elder. Biblically, you have to deny these things and you can't fulfill this position. You need to repent and step down and allow somebody else to replace you. If there is nobody else to replace you, then we need to wait on the Lord. And a lot of people get mad at me when I say this to them. Pastors and elders, youth leaders, 
to talk to talk to an elder and say, look, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. But this can't happen. This can't happen. This can't be. This behavior, it's not right to be for the Lord. And they get mad. And you know what's so cool? If you're going to be a people pleaser, if you're going to be influenced by people, then you're not going to say these things. You're not going to tell a pastor, hey, pastor, put down the crack pipe. Hey, elder, you know, get rid of your cell phone because it's making you stumble. Hey, elder number two or co-pastor number two or whatever, youth leader, I see your eyes, you know, looking at these young girls, looking at these young boys. I'm going to call the police. Do I need to call the police? What's going on here? You know, it's such a trip. People get mad. People are such snowflakes. But you know, the word of God teaches us all these things. And people are like, oh, I'm so offended. How could you say that? Well, what does Jesus Christ say? Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Blessed are those who are not offended. When it comes to the word of God, don't be a snowflake. The Lord's going to hurt your feelings just like he hurts my feelings. But don't forget that he's doing a work inside of your heart and my heart. I don't want to come off as sounding mean. But it's very important what is happening here about this sin. He says in verse 3, If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. Remember, it's not just guilt on the priest. It's now guilt on the people, on Israel. And the Lord is saying, hey, let's address this. We need to address this. And this is what he says. Then let him offer to the Lord for his sins, which he has sinned, a young bull or an ox. It translates as an ox without blemish as a sin offering. Remember, nothing mangy. You can't come to the Lord and just be like, okay, you know, this is Old Testament ways, you know. Like if, if we were Hebrew people, I can't get like a mangy ox. You know, oh, I have this cream of the crop ox. You know, I can make a lot of money off this guy. I got this other cream of the crop ox. I can make a lot, mon- lot of money on this guy and, you know, get a lot of uh, uh, productivity from this guy. Ox-wise speaking. But I got this mangy one that's good for nothing here. I'm going to offer this one to the Lord. No, the Lord doesn't like that. You give him the cream of the crop without blemish. Without blemish. In verse 4, He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull, on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Remember, life for life. Life for life. Life is in the blood. In verse 5, Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. Very important. And so when you look at the tabernacle, like it's like, whoa, there's, remember there's the gate that goes inside and then there's the altar right there and then there's the another tent there that has the covering and that's the holy place and inside of that is another chamber which is the holy of holies. So we're not going into the holy of holies. That's only the high priest can go in there. 
And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. But we're getting pretty close because look what's happening here. In verse uh, 5, Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. You see this? A lot of blood. What we're going to look at in the book of uh, Leviticus, in, in the law. All throughout the Old Testament, we're going to see a lot of blood. But put your finger here really quick. No pun intended. <laughs> um, and then turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Really quick. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And you hear me speak about um, the, the law being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Well, Hebrews chapter 10 illuminates that a little bit. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19, the writer here says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This is some hardcore stuff. Because in the Old Testament, only the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. But spiritually speaking, remember Jesus Christ is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's why the veil was torn from top to bottom when Jesus Christ died. When he takes his last breath, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he takes his last breath. The earth shakes. And then the Roman guard there, he says, surely he was the son of God. And what's happening meanwhile in the tabernacle that very moment is there was the veil there that was going into, separated the holy place from the, uh, uh, the holy of holies. And the veil was torn from top to bottom. Because that old regiment of the law is over. Done. The veil is torn. That's what is being said here in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. His flesh. Remember, uh, chapter 9, verse 9 of this book says it, it was symbolic, the old temple. Symbolic. Verse 21 here. And having a high priest... Over the house of God, let us draw near. This is for you and this is for me. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. You see, what we're reading in Leviticus about the sprinkling of the blood is to say, wow, inside of our temples, speaking of our bodies, there's a beating heart. It's to say, hey, let's let our hearts be sprinkled. Let's let our heart be sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You see, that's the fellowship of the saints, the fellowship of the saints. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not, verse 25, leaving or deserting the assembling of ourselves together. You see, the fellowship of the body of Christ. It is very, very important. It's holy before the Lord. We're kind of in a state of hiatus right now. 
because, you know, we're in this, you know, stay home kind of stuff going on. And it's starting to lift. We're starting to see states start to lift and more pressure on Democrat governors who are kind of, you know, very heavy handed. So a lot of Republican governors, they're starting to open up their states. They've already been open. Some of them are opening up like, you know, full on. And some of the Democrat governors, they're getting a lot of flack. You know what's so cool? It's like, wow, you know, this whole time we protected our hearts. We didn't have to go, you know, march anywhere. We didn't have to go, you know, and, and it's like, wow, you know, to be on our faces before the Lord, seek His face, and all of a sudden you're starting to see these things lift, you know? Pray for our, our, our even pray for our governors. Pray for our leaders. Local, you know, state, local, federal. Pray for these people. <clears throat> pray for these people. It's very important because it's an act of self-denial. Because, you know, I don't align very much at all with Democrat leaders. You know, especially when it comes to certain topics about abortion. I don't align with them at all because I hate abortion. But I can still pray for these people. And you can still pray for these people. We as a church body can still pray for these people. You know, of course, pray for their salvation. But then at the same time, pray that their efforts, you know, that they they can glorify the Lord and, you know, put Christians in their path. In some cases, pray against them, pray against their efforts. And if there's Christians that work with them in their offices, remember, like we're studying the book of Acts and even in Herod's circle, you know, Herod the Great, he had, there were Christians that were like one or two degrees away of separation away. So imagine the evil circles of government, you know, and it's like, man, maybe there's a Christian there that's working there. Maybe he or she had a job there 30 years ago. Now he's an old guy. She's an old lady and she's still working there. She doesn't like, you know, what, where she is. But man, you know, we can pray for these people like, Lord, raise up these people. You know, let them, you know, give them grace, give them mercy, give them favor in your, where, where it is that you have them. That maybe they can, you know, speak truth. Speak truth, give them, you know, a special favor and where you have them. Man, what a beautiful time it is for the church to be able to pray for so many things. But in verse 25 it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is the church body, the bride of Christ, being one fellowship of the saints. It's so beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. We studied on Sunday about exhortation. Remember the multifaceted aspect of exhortation? And so much, so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it's like, wow, you know, as we get closer and closer and closer to the last days, it's very interesting how governments say, okay, break up the churches. When the Bible says, you know, as we see the day approaching, hey, bring the assembly together. And governments are saying, no, break the assemblies apart. Very interesting. Very interesting when we have our eyes wide open and we're well aware of the landscape and the changing landscape and we start to understand, Lord, what's really going on here? It's the spirit of the Antichrist preparing the way for the coming Antichrist. This is straight up warfare, you guys. Very important, especially when the Lord teaches us, the Word of God teaches us about having our, uh, our our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. 
that deals with the carnality inside of you and inside of me to say, hey, take the word of God and take this blood and sprinkle it on our hearts in the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Leviticus now, Leviticus chapter 4. Verse 6 says, The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. So that's inside the holy place, not the holy of holies where the ark is, but it's inside the holy place where the, uh, 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 the, the incense is before the Lord. And the showbread is in there too as well, the, uh, the lampstand. So it's like, wow, you're getting very close to the Holy of Holies. But not the whole, not, you know, you're right in the holy place. Remember, this is in verse 3, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. It says in verse 7, And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So there's a lot of blood. There is so much blood that we're going to see in the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of blood. And you know, it kind of, if we were to take a tour, an Old Testament tour, say we get in a time machine and we go back in time and we walk in this tabernacle that's been put in use. You know what we're going to experience by doing that? We would see like blood stains all over the place. Think of the smells. Think of the sights, you know, like bones and ashes and char. Like the smells, you know, like like think of like a, a butcher house. You know, when you walk in and like in the summertime, it's like, whoa, you can, I mean, you, you can't deny it. You know, when you go to like a meat market in the summertime. You know, you smell it, it's like, well, you know you're in a meat market. And I'm not trying to diminish what the Lord is doing here. You know, atoning for people's sins. But I wonder if in our entourage, someone might say, man, look at all this blood. You know, you'd think, you know, maybe there should be a drive to say like, hey, let's, let's keep this clean, you know. And not to imply that it was dirty because it's very holy. I don't want to come off that way. But the question might be posed, why not keep it clean? Why not keep it clean? And you know what? That same question can be posed to the man in the mirror. That very same question can be posed to the woman in the mirror. Hey, this is a temple of the Lord. You know, when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you know, Lord willing, you you brush your teeth. (laughs) You're brushing your teeth in the morning, you look up, you know, and you're brushing... That's the guy, that guy in the mirror. That's the lady, that lady in the mirror. Why not keep this temple clean? I'm not trying to diminish what the Lord has done, especially with his blood, because it atones for our sin. But what I am trying to say is, hey, don't play games with sin. It's not the, you know, like, you know, Hebrews chapter 6 Mentions, you know, you can't re-crucify Jesus Christ over and over and over and over. There's no such thing as the re-crucification of Jesus Christ. He died once, once for all sin. It's to say, hey, don't take advantage of that. And it's so cool. Look at verse 8. 
He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. So he's like a straight up butcher. The priest is like a straight up butcher. And you know, I have a hardcore message for pastors, for elders, and for Bible teachers. You're a butcher too. You are a butcher too. You know what you're doing? You are separating the carnal from the spiritual. And the tools that you use is the truth of God's holy word. You're a butcher. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, you're a butcher. Spiritually speaking. You know, and it's so cool because the the only way you can separate the carnal from the spiritual is with the Word of God. That's the only way. There's no other tool that can do that. It's the Word of God. And verse 10 says, you know, as it was or in the same manner, taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. Remember, peace with God. Peace with God. Amends with God. We just studied that a couple weeks ago. He says, And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering, the bull, but the bull's hide and all its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and offal. Now, I, I was like, wow, what is this offal? And you know, in modern terms, it translates as like waste parts and entrails. You know, like that's modern terms. Like when you cut open an animal and you see all the, like the guts spill out. You know, and there's like the little the little tiny parts. But then I was like, okay, what's this in the Hebrew? You know what it is in the Hebrew? It's straight up the dung and the excrement. The dung and the excrement. You're like, whoa, that is nasty. That is gross. And you know what? Think of all those smells. You go to a butcher shop in the summertime. You know, an outdoor meat market. And you, you can certainly get all kinds of smells. But then you throw in the offal, you throw in the dung and the excrement. You think what kind of, you, that's not a pleasing smell. But then you put things in God's perspective. What is the stench of sin before the Lord? What is the stench that he smells when there's sin before him? You see, it needs a covering. Sin needs to be covered and atoned for. Sin needs to be repented of. And then it becomes a sweet aroma. A person becomes a sweet aroma. Not the sin. The sin is thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. But the offering unto the Lord, that person becomes a sweet aroma unto the Lord. You see? This is, remember, this is for the religious leaders, for the faith leaders. In verse 3, if the anointed priest sins. And you know, the anointed priest sins, there's his sin. But then it also says bringing guilt on the people. You know, I know the Bible teaches us about, you know, a husband being the covering for the wife, parents being the covering for the children, and then, uh, Jesus Christ being the, the covering of the husband and then God our Father being the covering for, for Jesus Christ. It's kind of like that. 
um, hierarchy, so to speak. But for church leadership, pastors, elders, and Bible teachers, anybody who wields the Word of God, is to say, you know what? You are also a covering, a spiritual covering. We have to understand these concepts, and we're going to see that lived out. You're going to see it lived out in a good way, and you're going to see it lived out in a bad way all throughout the Old Testament, even the New Testament. And when I say covering, it's like, you know, take that with a grain of salt, you know, no pun intended based on our couple studies ago. (laughs) But take that with a grain of salt because, you know, you're a covering, but you're also a butcher. You know, separating carnal from the spiritual and it's not like you're necessarily taking one individual and doing that it's like you're doing it corporately you know the the word goes forth and to those who have eyes to those who have ears it's it's supernatural the holy spirit is doing the work you're just a co-worker you're a partaker in these holy efforts that's what paul says to the church in corinth He says, you're God's fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers. You see how beautiful this is? In terms of not bringing guilt upon the people. And you know what's so sad? Is when you hear pastors. Say, for example, you have a pastor or a youth pastor who does sexual things with like a little girl, you know, or a little boy. You know, that is such. I have to be careful in how I say this because there's so many ranges of emotion that that, that hit me. It's just at the thought of it. Of course, there's the criminality of it, which is one thing. But then there's like, like such jolt to what the Lord desires to do in a body of Christ, in, 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 in a church body. And to take that and be like, you know... This youth pastor, I mean, it's like straight up, like this youth pastor needs to be dealt with. I'm not talking about like, you know, killing him. (laughs) It's to say, okay, you you need, you know, you're going to jail, dude. And then at the same time, that pastor needs to do some, like, it's for the people. It's like, church isn't a social club. It's not a social club at all. It's atonement for people, God's sheep. God's people, God's flock. They need to be atoned for. They need to have their sin covered. And you know, you have this major jolt in a church where there's this, you know, this little teenage girl, this little girl, little boy was, you know, assaulted sexually, her innocence shattered for the rest of her life. The rest of his life. You talk to these adults. You know, a 40-year-old male, 35-year-old male who was, you know, sexually abused, molested inside the church. They want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And I understand it completely. And they're just shattered. They're a shell of themselves. And it devastates me. It makes me angry. It makes me sad. I just... I have to be very careful. 
But when we read these passages in Leviticus, you know, that's why I said in the beginning, these are things that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but we're getting God's perspective on how He operates. God's perspective on how He takes things into account. Mind you, we're under a new covenant. But that's why I say, you know, pastors, Bible teachers, elders, you know, you're like a butcher. If that's you, you're like a butcher. But it's not for the sake of taking a person and just, you know, hammering away and slicing away. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You're his coworker, God's coworker. That's what truth does. And truth hurts. Truth is very painful. But it's also very beneficial because it helps us grow. It helps us matriculate. It helps us put aside the elementary things and press forward and move on to perfection and not be on milk. You say, like, that's too hardcore. Really? Think about the stench of sin that God smells. And he wants, when he wants a beautiful aroma, think about what he smells. See, if you're going to be influenced by people, if you're a pastor, elder, or Bible teacher, and you're going to be influenced by people, you're blind to these things. But when you have intimacy with Jesus Christ and his word, and he's teaching you, and it's like, you know, it's not that you don't care about people. You have immense love for people. But it's a small fraction of the love that you have for the Lord. You know, don't let people influence you. Because if you do that, you won't understand these things. You'll want to be a friend of the people. Which isn't, you know, it's not a bad thing to desire. But it's to say, hey, wait, it's much better to be a friend of God. A friend of God, just like Brother James teaches us, a friend of God. And so in verse 12, it says, um, The whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. You see, it's like a refuse area outside the camp. Does this ring a bell in Jesus Christ when he's taken outside the camp? And he's carrying his cross. He's taken outside the temple to a place called Golgotha. Very interesting how this is played out as New Covenant believers. How it's played out years after this moment. Decades, centuries after this moment, what's being taught here. Because remember, Jesus Christ fulfills these. Now, verse 13, now it's the whole congregation. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, that's the Shegaga, by mistake, inadvertently, by error, in ignorance, unaware, and unwittingly, unintentionally. It's very interesting because all these other people, the congregation, the rulers, and the common people, it's all unintentional. But for the anointed priests, the faith leaders, there's no in unintentional, there's no Shegaga. Remember, God has certain expectations for the faith leaders, those in church leadership. Very 
certain expectations, you could say, whoa, those are high expectations. Well, if you're in a position where you say those are high expectations, maybe you're a novice. Maybe you need to grow more. You know, let that be an encouragement to you. Because it's like, whoa, those are two highest standards. But you know what? I want to be like that. I want to get to that level to where I can be a pastor. I can be an elder. And pray. It's not just say like, oh, I want to feel good about myself and be a pastor. Because it's, lo- it's lonely. You know, and it's such a trip. Because it's like, you know, desire these things. But desire to be used of the Lord in whatever capacity He has for you. A little scary things. I'll put a little footnote to that. And the footnote is this. If you're called to pastoral leadership, you're going to be held to a higher account. A higher account is going to be placed on you. You know why? Because there's an expectation. There's no shigaga. You can't say that, oh, I didn't know. You can't say that. Because you have to know the word of God. And so let's look at verse 13 now. Now if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly. You know what's so cool about this? He says, and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly. So it's unknown to them. And they have done something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which should not be done and are guilty. So you have something, any, and anything. Talk about unintentional. When the sin which they have committed becomes known. How will they know? How will they know? Truth must be taught. Truth is a learned thing. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, or if you're a youth leader, truth must be taught. Remember our study on Sunday? Exhortation is multifaceted. You can comfort a person in exhortation, or you can warn them in exhortation. Just refer to our study in Acts 13. When the sin which they have committed becomes known. You know, if you're going to let people influence you, if you're going to be a man pleaser, are you really going to tell somebody about their sin? Honestly. They're your best buddy. You don't want to hurt their feelings. Or the biggest tither in the church. The biggest financial contributor in a church body. Are you going to tell that person they're in sin? I mean, when they are, when, if they are in sin. Are you going to call them on it? And say, hey, look, this isn't right before the Lord. You need to repent. That's, that's the work of a man pleaser that doesn't do that. But the work of a God pleaser, you know, it says, hey, brother, you know, I love you. But you know what? This isn't right before the Lord. And I want you to be clean before the Lord. I want you to be so clean, like sparkling clean before the Lord. And so you know what? This crack pipe, throw it away. This pornography, throw it away. Your cell phone, your computer, get rid of it. Save some money on your uh, internet bill too. This alcohol, 
Don't do that. Get rid of it. You know, let's pour it down the drain. It's garbage. It's poison. You know, but who would call somebody on their sin? What man pleaser would do that? Answer, none. But what God pleaser would? Man, every single one. You know why? Because you want to please God and not please man. And so look what happens here. When the sin which they have committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord. Then the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest. So now you have the priest coming into the picture. And you know what's so cool about this? The priest was handled first. The anointed priest in verse 3, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people. Verse 3, it started. Verse 3 through 12, it addressed the sin of the priest first. You know why? Because now, you know, dealing with the congregation, in verse 22, dealing with the rulers, in verse 27, dealing with the common people, now the priest's hands are clean. His hands are clean now because his sins have been dealt with. You see, he is clean. He is clean to perform the duties that are set before him. This is a hardcore message for pastors, a hardcore message for elders and Bible teachers, youth leaders. It's not to get on a high horse and say like, wow, look how holy I am. It's to get off the high horse and have clean hands before the Lord. Clean feet before the Lord. A clean heart before the Lord. A clean mind before the Lord. Because the people that you're going to deal with and the people that you do deal with, sometimes they might be clean. Lord willing, you know, praise the Lord. Pray and intercede for these people. But sometimes they're going to be so super filthy. So incredibly super filthy. But they still need to be atoned for. And, you know, it's one thing if they leave, you know, if you're telling truth and they're like, okay, you know, I'm going to go to this other guy who's going to, you know, tickle my ears. That's on them. That's between them and the Lord. But if you're the one that's going to tickle ears, all you got to do is read Ezekiel chapter three. The Lord says, you know what? You're responsible. If you're going to tickle ears, you're responsible. And you can't claim, you cannot claim Shegaga. You can't say, I didn't know, Lord. I think it was a mistake. It was inadvertent. I did it by error. I did it in ignorance. I was unaware. I did it unwittingly. You can't make that claim with the Lord. Remember, you're held to a higher standard if you're a pastor. There's going to be a heavier account that you have to make if you're a pastor. And there's an aspect of that that's terrifying. But, you know, praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Let that, let that factor of being, you know, freaked out, let that be motivation for you to stay clean. You know, blood, all the smells, the dung, the excrement, the stench of sin. Let that be motivation to keep your temple clean. 
You see how the Lord works? Oh, that's too hardcore. You're such a legalist. Am I really? Tell me how I'm a legalist. Tell me. People can't tell you. People say, oh, you're a legalist. No, I'm obedient. And I don't say that, you know, let my boast be in Jesus Christ. And you know, it's to strive for obedience. Lord, help me be obedient. You read the word of God and the, the Holy Spirit is going to hammer you. Praise be to the Lord. Lord, hammer me. Because I trust you, Lord. I trust the work you're doing inside of this temple. And then you choose obedience. It's not to get on a high horse and say, wow, look how obedient I am. Because in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, you'll be like, wow, there's this homosexual Satanist. I need to tell this guy about Jesus Christ. Wow, there's this lesbian over here. I need to tell her about Jesus Christ. There's this alcoholic over here. I need to tell him about Jesus Christ. Remember, don't throw your pearls. Don't give your pearls to swine. Because they can't handle pearls. They'll just, I mean, if you take these beautiful, beautiful pearls and you literally give them to pigs, it's stupid because it's like they're bright and shiny and then all of a sudden they're muddy, dirty, they're going to crack, all kinds of things. Don't do that with the Word of God. But you can throw little nuggets. See what happens. Maybe they'll feed it. You know, like what you have to say. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, they want more. They want more. You're slowly changing their diet because you're giving them little nuggets. Slowly, slowly, slowly changing their diet, introducing something new, which is truth. And you're doing it in love. And you're being wise as a serpent and peaceful as a dove. Slowly changing their diet. And then finally it's like, man, maybe you can, maybe they'll have a, you know, the stomach for a little pearl. But you know what happens sometimes? You love the Lord so much, you give pearls to the swine and they, it's like they destroy it and it breaks your heart. Don't give pearls. But, you know, throw little stones, throw little nuggets. And so look what happens here in verse 16. The anointed priest, remember verse 3, he's not clean. He's able to do these things. A dirty priest wouldn't be able to do these things. The same way a dirty pastor, a dirty elder, a dirty Bible teacher, a dirty youth leader is incapable, biblically incapable. You know, not to, not to say that, you know, like not Catholicism, you know, where you can atone for somebody's sin. No, it's nothing, nothing like that at all. But you're incapable if you're a dirty pastor, a dirty elder, a dirty deacon, a dirty bishop, a dirty Bible teacher, a dirty youth leader. You're biblically incapable of yielding these things and wielding these things, holy, holy things. There's a special recipe that the Lord has is to apply it in your life first. You can't be a crackhead 
and then all of a sudden, you know, believe in Jesus Christ, still be a crackhead, and go minister to crackheads. You know why? Because you're going to be a crackhead. There's no change. You're going to continue in that. And how is God glorified? No, God is mocked when that happens. It's to say you're a crackhead, you repent, you grow in Christ, you learn, you grow, you matriculate, you mature, you're no longer a novice, and you wait on the Lord, and the Lord might say, okay, you know what? I want you to be a pastor. I want you to now be an evangelist and go evangelize to the crackheads because the Lord pulled you out of Egypt, and now he's going to send you back to Egypt. Remember, it's the Lord that told Moses to go to Egypt. Moses didn't get an idea in his head, oh, I'm going to go to Egypt now. So many times people say they get an idea in their head. Oh, I'm going to go minister to the crackheads. And you know what happens? They become a crackhead. Oh, I'm going to go minister to the prostitutes. And you know what? They get sucked into the sexual lifestyle. I'm going to go minister to the alcoholics. And there they are back in the bars again. It's one thing if the Lord calls you back to Egypt. But it's another thing if you willingly walk into Egypt. When Egypt is a very dangerous place for you. You see how the Lord works? So here you have the priests. In verse 16, he now comes into play here. He now has a role here. His hands are now clean. He says, The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting, and it shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar, and he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do with it. You know what's interesting about verse 20 and future verses in this chapter is that a different kind of butchering from verse 11 remember verse 11 you know verse 3 through 12 was for the priests it's a different kind of butchering from verse 11 remember a couple chapters ago kodesh kodesh you remember kodesh kodesh something special for pastors something special for Teachers and elders. It's, it's different. You know, if we had like a large church, you know what I would do? You know, there would be like, you know, the separate service for like, you know, the people. But then I would take all the ministry leaders and be like, man, you know what? We're just going to have a day where it's just our Kodesh Kodesh. We're going to feed on the Lord, feed on the Word of God. We're going to pray and it's just like sp such special intimacy with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then at the end, it's like, do you get what I mean when I speak about Kodesh Kodesh? It's something special for the leaders. It's so cool how the Lord works. And so verse 20. So the priest shall make atonement for them and it shall be forgiven them. So now, look what happens with sin. Sin is now covered. It's atoned for and forgotten. The people, the congregation, they are right with God. In verse 21, 
Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. Now remember verse 22 to verse 26 is for the leaders. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally, Shegaga, remember this unintentional, I did it by mistake. I don't care. It's still Shegaga. Against any of the commandments of the Lord his God in anything which should not be done and is guilty or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge. Remember, how will they know? A man pleaser won't bring sin to their knowledge. A God pleaser will. He shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a male without blemish. Remember, nothing mangy. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of, the, of burnt offering, and pour its blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And he shall burn all its fat on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin, and it shall be forgiven him. So here we are with the rulers. Their sin is covered. You see, how can, how can this aspect of atoning for sin be considered a business, be considered playtime? You know, how can church be looked at or considered as a business venture? It's impossible. Fools do such things. Fools consider church such things. Oh, it's a business venture with special tax advantages. It's a tax haven for a lot of people. A lot of pastors, phony pastors. It's a tax haven. You know, the uh, 501c3. You know, making plays on, on the laws, you know, taking advantage of the IRS laws. Playtime. Oh, keep tithing, keep tithing, keep tithing. Thus saith the Lord. Crazy. No, church is very holy. A pastor, elder, Bible teacher, you're a butcher. You're a butcher. And what you're doing is you're separating the flesh. You're separating the carnal from the spiritual. That's, that's what you do. And that's what the Word of God does. And it must be done first in you. If you're, if you're a teacher, it must be done inside of you first. Because then you have clean hands, clean feet, clean heart, clean mind. And then you're able to do it for others. You're not a hypocrite. You see, the Lord has something to say about hypocrisy. You read Matthew 23. You see what He has to say about hypocrisy. Because those religious leaders, you know why? They couldn't claim Shigaga. They could not claim Shigaga. Because they had the expectation on them. You should have known. That's why Jesus Christ said, when you read John 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he's, the Lord's like, Nicodemus, you call yourself a teacher? You're supposed to know these things. You're supposed to know these things, Nicodemus. 
There's the expectation that the Lord has. People say, oh yeah, churches have been... You talk to pastors. Go to the wealthy churches. You speak to the inner circles, the elders. They're CFO. You'll see all it is is just a tax haven. Special, you know, um, parsonage. Nice, nice little holy parsonage by the beach in Malibu. You know, sick, sick, sick puppies, I tell you. Nice little parsonage in, you know, Hawaii on the beach. Nice little church parsonage. Malibu, Pacific Palisades, Boca. Sick puppies. Den of thieves. So let's look at verse 27. Now it's for anyone. Anyone, any soul. Verse 27 says, now it says in verse 27, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally, Shagaga again, by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done and is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, again, how will he know? How will he know? You have to have somebody who's a God pleaser. To tell that person, hey, this isn't right. See, truth. Truth must be taught. And don't forget exhortation too. You know, exhortation, which is multifaceted. We studied, you know, last on Sunday. You know, comfort. You know, to encourage. But then it can also be to warn and urge. And so look what happens here. In verse 28, says, Then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish. So nothing mangy, but it's like, wow, now it's a female. So the males were the males were prized for um, how do I say this? Okay, you know how you take a male and you female, and you put them together, <laughs> they do their thing, and then they can have babies. Well, with animals, you know, that's what they breeding, you know, for breeding. And so the, the males were prized for breeding. And so, you know, it's easier for any soul, you know, to, to, to offer a, a, a female. You know, it's a higher cost for other people. You know, the congregation, the ruler, the priest, it comes at a higher cost. Just like pastors and elders are held to a higher standard. You see, there's a higher accounting, you see. So if you're a pew Christian, you know, you're held to a certain account. But if you're a pulpit Christian, wow, you're held to a much higher account. So it's like, you know, it, the higher cost, the, the higher the role, the higher the cost. And I don't mean to say, you remember, God is no respecter of persons. You know, and I don't say that to, you know, sound elitist or get on a high horse, but it is a fact. It is a biblical fact. You know that there's a higher, um, higher expectation to know you can't claim shegaga when you're a pastor or an elder or a Bible teacher, and there is a higher standard of judgment that's going to be placed on you. It says if any of the common, oh, uh, 
Verse 28, Then he shall bring as offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering, and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger. And, you know, it's... A, a, a dirty priest, a dirty priest would make this whole process ineffective. That's what a dirty priest brings to the table. That's what a dirty pastor brings to the table. That's what a dirty elder brings to the table. That's what a dirty youth leader brings to the table. You know what they do? They, you know what they bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. In terms of holiness. They bring hypocrisy. That's what they bring to the table. Yes, they bring that to the table of flesh. Exposing their carnal nature. And the people, they have guilt. The people have guilt. No butcher. Nobody to butcher them, you know, spiritually speaking. Ineffective. A dirty pastor, a dirty elder, a dirty Bible teacher is biblically incapable of butchering. Biblically incapable of separating the carnal, of separating the, the, the carnal from the spiritual. Incapable because of their hypocrisy. Because of the sin, their own sin. Biblically incapable. So what does that mean for the body of Christ? What does that mean for a church congregation? When their ears are being tickled, when they're not being given truth. You see? You've heard me say before, how I am adamantly, adamantly, adamantly against church being a social club. You see why now? Maybe you understood before. And maybe you have an understand, a little deeper understanding of why. Because it's not about business. It's not about being a social club. It's about truth. It's about, you know, being a butcher and letting the Holy Spirit separate inside of your hearts. That's what it's about. You know why? Because you're God's flock. You're God's people. And, you know, don't forget the ten virgins. Five wise virgins. Those are the ones who are ready. And the ones who are ready are the ones who have been butchered. And spiritually speaking, in love. Able to separate the carnal from the spiritual. With full vats of oil. Ready for the coming bridegroom. All else? Now you see why. You know, you hear me say, you know, like sometimes it seems like I have an axe to grind. Now you see why. Now you see why. It's not just, it's not to get on a high horse at all. That's the least, that's nothing to do with it. It's to say, wow, look at these sheep. Look how filthy these sheep are. Look how dirty these sheep are. Here, come here. Let me clean you. Let me clean you. As gently as I possibly can with the word of God. And then present to the word of God. Here, Lord. Here's your flock. Here's your sheep. Here's your lamb. You see? But people, you know, 
people on TV, on radio, and the worldly pastors, they start to hear all these carnal things, people tickling their ears, telling them, you know, whispering sweet nothings in their ears. And so they hear truth and they hate truth because they've never experienced truth. They've never even read truth. They've had a steady diet of, you know, cherry-picked messages. A steady diet of putting down the Bible and reading, you know, New York Times bestseller lists. Such a trip. A dirty priest is incapable. The same way a dirty pastor is. The same way a dirty elder is. The same way a dirty Bible teacher is. Remember, I said Leviticus is kind of geared towards the pulpit Christians. When we get into Deuteronomy, it's like pew Christians. Keep that in mind as we go through Leviticus. Heavily, heavily geared towards leadership. Church leadership. You know, in terms of the fulfillment of the law. I'm not saying, you know, church leaders, we got to start doing sacrifices. But spiritually, we got to do start doing sacrifices of self. Of self. Okay, so let's look here. In verse 30. 30. Then the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the bur- of, of burnt offering, and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. You see? That's what the Lord desires in his flock, as a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Truth and love and the power of the Holy Spirit accomplishes just this. The bride of Christ being a sweet aroma to the Lord. That's why I have such an issue with, you know, church being a social club. You know, jokesters behind the pulpits. No. It's for holy people. The fellowship of the saints. Holy people feeding, feeding on the word of God and growing. Just like we read in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of the Lord, you guys. God's wrath. You read passages in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord being terrifying, and then you read passages about from Peter when he says the day of the Lord is beautiful, it's awesome. Look forward to these things. It's like, man, which one is it? Is it terrifying or is it beautiful? Well, you tell me. You know, what's your life? You know, are, are you a crackhead? Are you into your pornography? Are you into your alcohol? Are you into, you know, sin and doing all this kind of crazy stuff? Yeah, I'm a party animal. I like to drink. Well, the day of the Lord is not going to be a good day for you. You need to repent. It's like, okay, I, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I don't want that. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want the wrath of God to be on me. Okay, repent, believe in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Let's walk together. And let's grow together in Christ. Then all of a sudden, you know, we start studying about the day of the Lord. You're like, man, I can't wait for the day of the Lord. It's like, man, what happened? The Lord changed your mind. The Lord changed your heart. 
the day of the Lord was terrifying to you, but now the day of the Lord is beautiful to you. You can't wait for the day of the Lord. You see, it's like transformation. A transformation by a renewing of your minds. You reckon the old man dead. You reckon the old woman dead. You put on Christ and he just transforms you. Gut job. Complete and total gut job. So going back to Leviticus chapter 4 in verse 31 at the end. So the priest shall make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. So the sin is covered. Verse 32, if he brings a lamb, so it's a young sheep, if he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it as a sin offering on the place where they kill the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. <clears throat> He shall remove all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. So again, the sin is covered. Now, the first, the priest has clean hands, clean feet, clean heart, clean mind. He's able to perform the duties that are tasked before him. And now look, in so doing, now the people, the people can now have clean hands, clean feet, clean heart, clean mind. You see? That's what I say. Pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, Bible teachers, youth leaders, you're like a spiritual covering. Think of yourself as a spiritual covering. If you're a parent, think of yourself. Consider yourself a spiritual covering for your little ones. Teaching them the ways they should go. They, they need to learn Jesus Christ. The ways of righteousness. That's not going to come from the world. That's not going to come from public school. I mean, you know, I'm, not, I'm a hardcore advocate for uh, uh, homeschooling. But, you know, I have a friend that, you know, that she used her public school as like, you know, she would teach her kids like hardcore things. And then she would take, let, let her kids go to public school where they can apply these things. And the kid would come home from school and she'd say, okay, like what happened? You know, the husband and the wife together, they'd sit down, you know, at the dinner table. You know, how was your day? They'd be all up in their business. And then teaching the kids, okay, well, this is what's happening. And it's so cool to talk to that young kid and be like, whoa, this is like a mature kid. Because he's understand, he's, he's learned the word of God, and now he's using his shield, using his sword in the public schools. So I, me personally, I don't like public schools because of, you know, it's like indoctrination in the things of the world. I like homeschooling. But it's not to say you can't use public schools to your advantage too. So it's like, you know, a lot of things to pray for if you're raising up little ones. A lot of things to pray for, you know, and intercede for, for the rest of your life. Because you might be 80 years old and who knows what your kid's up to. You know, just like Job said, you know, it might be that my son, that my daughter has done these things before the Lord. I don't know, but I'm going to intercede for them for the rest of your life. 
And it's so cool because the Lord, He sees all these things. He sees. The question is, are we going to be a people that yields to Him and allows Jesus Christ to clean my heart and clean your heart and have His way inside our hearts, inside our homes, inside our marriages, inside our church fellowship, inside whatever we do? It's a hardcore question. Is to say, you know what, Lord? Have your way with us. Have your way with me, Lord. Have your way with us as a church body. Have your way with this fellowship, Lord. Here are we. You see how beautiful this is? Holiness before the Lord. So we're going to end our study here. And we'll pick up in chapter 5, Lord willing, next week. Love you guys. God bless you.